0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they really have to understand I trust to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabéu
0: blinks it back. I've got a problem with soccer, too, Fruit, balls. Oh
2: what
3: a start! They can guarantee to you is that they want
2: to keep everything secret. Welcome to House of Champions. My name's James Benjamin. I'm your host today, joined by Nigel Rio, Coca, Mike Lahood, and Jonathan Johnson as we preview a stacked weekend of European football. We've got Atletico Madrid against Barcelona, we've got AC Milan Roma, we've got the glamour of the third round of the FA Cup. We'll talk some Chelsea. We'll talk some Robert Lewandowski. That's all on House of Champions right now. Remember, if you're joining us on YouTube, you please do drop us a like, drop us a subscribe. It all helps to build our audience. We love having so many of you along. And make sure you're in that comment section, uh, letting Nigel Rio, Coker and Mike know why they've got their their hot takes on European football so wrong. And Mike LaHood, I'm going to start <laughs> with you on the big game of the weekend. Well, mm. I mean, some would say the big game of the weekend. In La Liga, Atletico Madrid, slowish but okay start after uh, the World Cup. And Barcelona, a really quite slow start after the World Cup and uh, some dramatic events in midweek. These two facing off against each other. What are, we, what are we thinking? Where, where's our head at going into this big game?
1: Oh, you, you have to start with the big news going into this game. Robert Lewandowski, no mas for the next three games. That is a massive storyline. This guy is leading La Liga in goals, and he is the heart and soul of this FC Barcelona team going up against a stubborn, reconvincing, stubborn athletic defense for as many of the goals as they they've been able to score as of late it's the resolution of that back line that's been restored that makes them a handful
0: i think i have to agree with you Mac. i think that um oh sorry no you want to go jj my bad sorry pop the gun is always
3: No, no, no. I don't mind. Uh, I mean, I I agree with Mike. I think that, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, Lewandowski now suddenly being hit with that ban is going to, you know, wreak havoc a little bit with uh, Xavi's plans. Uh, You know, I think as well, uh, obviously, them getting run close uh, in midweek in the Cup, uh, you know, made them go uh, a bit longer than they probably would have planned for that, especially ahead of such a big game. But are Atleti really that much of a worry? uh you know for you know the the leading lights in uh, La Liga at this moment in time I'm I'm not so sure uh you know unless I see a drastically improved Atleti over the space of sort of five games or so uh you know I still think that you know Barca can probably get the job done and you know if you've if you can get somebody get some goals out of somebody else while Lewandowski's out I think Barca should be fine
1: yeah, I, I think of what's the plan B for FC Barcelona when you're so dependent on one player for goals, you look to the likes of your wingers. And I think Atsufati, Usman Dembele, and Rafinha, they will be looked to and asked to fill in the goal gaps in the next three games. And in this game... In particular, going to some of the stats Atleti they've actually been very good at home in their last two home games against FC Barcelona, Barcelona, they will feel the pressure, especially with Real Madrid mounting pressure on them with some of their recent results coming off the World Cup break. When I when I look at that front three potential front three, they, they have pace. They have guile, but they don't match up physically. I think that is where Robert Lewandowski, he adds a bit of extra ability to hold up the ball, to make clever runs in. And I think Usman Dembele, we saw it in the Copa del Rey matchup against InterCity. In the second half, Usman Dembele filled in for, is it Ferran Torres as a center forward. I think we will see that again against Atleti. And I think that gives Atleti a slight edge against their back three and this front three. Where I think the game will come down to is the battle of the midfield. Barcelona, they have the better midfield three, and I think if Barcelona can get more creativity, overload that midfield, then Barcelona will get the edge in this game.
2: And of course, as you uh, as you said there, uh, Mike, all three of that those wingers, Usman Dembele, Rafinha, and Ansu Fati, did score in that four three win over InterCity. City. Who it has to be say. They're not the biggest team in the world. I mean, they're not big enough that Google actually has their badge on file. I'm looking at the Google page of it right now. <laughs> but uh, their, their striker Soldevia Puig, the uh, first player to score a uh, champion a hat trick against Barcelona since Nigel Rio Coca, Would you like to guess who the last player to score a hat trick against Barcelona in a league in a competitive mm. match was?
0: Um. Last player. Do, I'm gonna go Ronaldo.
2: Ronaldo is incorrect, JJ. Oh, JJ's got it. He might know. Yeah, it's Mbappe. Uh, Camp it no. Indeed, no. Mbappe. <laughs> at Camp Nou. Oh.
3: Guys, I've actually I've actually got a like I don't know. To me, it's quite a surprising statistic. You know, that those goals last night for Intercity, that's mm. half of what Barcelona have conceded throughout the whole La Liga campaign so far. Because we talk so much about the goals that Barca score, uh, you know, and what Lewandowski brings in attack. But if you look at the stats, they've only conceded six goals all season. That's by far and away the best defensive record in La Liga. So, you know, I think coming into a game when you're coming up against one of the stronger teams in La Liga, which Atleti are, despite their, their you know, their patchy form, uh, you know, I think that it would have been a bigger headache for Xavi if he suddenly had a defensive crisis on his hands, given how solid that back line is.
0: I'm just going to jump in and say for you guys, I think for me, this is one of those interesting games and scenarios, because in my opinion, Lewandowski is a difference maker for Barcelona, as we're seeing domestically, not so much at Champions League level, which is a bit of a disappointment. Yes, they have the more creative players, as Michael pointed out. But I feel that when Barcelona come across teams like this, and obviously there's our producer, a big Atletico Madrid fan, and he knows this isn't the Atleti of old. This isn't the great Atleti side. But they can be a pain in the ass. And if they can be solid, defensively well-structured and frustrate Barcelona enough, without the great worry of Lewandowski, this is a game that could be a potential banana slip for Barcelona. And that's what we've seen Barcelona struggle with when they've played top 1% teams in the Champions League. And I can see you all got a little peaky green and smile on your face. I don't know what you're all smiling at, but <laughs> I really do feel that this could be potentially... No, it's just Dez has got his <laughs> violin out in the chat. Yeah, 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 look at it, But no, I honestly do, because we've seen Barcelona <laughs> struggle with teams like this, especially when it comes to Champions League. We know what they're going to play. They're that beautiful boxer, poised, but they've only got a jab. They don't have that knockout punch and that's what they've been missing. They re, they invested heavily in the summer and it still hasn't turned the corner for them in what they really wanted and needed. So I feel that Atletico, these type of games are the games that could really be coached right tactically to frustrate Barcelona and could be a potential banana slip. What's your score prediction then, Nigel? Mm. I actually would say I'm just going to go against the grain. I know everyone's going to think I'm crazy, but I could actually see a 2-1 Atletico winning this.
1: Mike? Yeah, I I agree with you, Nigel. I think Atleti will win this game because you have the likes of Anton Griezmann coming back in the fold. This guy started the last two matches in all competitions. He's got three assists. Gerard Felix, this guy's got three goals in three consecutive games he's been available for. Lewandowski miss will be a massive one. Atleti will win. JJ,
2: anyone want to say something nice about Barcelona?
1: (laughs) Goal is snooze fest.
3: I mean, at least it's going to be another clean sheet for Barca.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, my views on this are very clear. It's La Liga. It's generally a snooze fest. So I'm going to agree with JJ. Maybe one-all. <laughs> but a boring one-all. Um, right. Glad we got that wow. out of the way. And we can talk about the proper league, starting, with, of course, and you can watch it all on Paramount+. Serie A, AC Milan against Roma, Mike Lahood. Both these mm. teams came back with... Wins. You cannot deny that they they have three points more now than they did at the start of this week. That game in Salerno, thrilling victory, two one victory. For AC Milan, Roma one nil over Bologna, if I remember correctly. Yep. Um. I mean, you know, when we did our Serie A preview, I was speaking very highly of Roma, and I think there's something there in their defence. But AC Milan, you know, I mean, we were talking about this with Fabrizio, Olivier Giroud still looks in great form, absolutely vital to their title challenge, which after Napoli's defeat, that Mm. title challenge could be a whole lot liver. Where do you see this one going? and, And who are the players that can turn this game for both sides?
1: I think this is going to be AC Milan versus Jose Mourinho. Mourinho will try to do the Mourinho masterclass, park the bus, sit back and then counter with both wing backs, jettisoning up the field. They have the creativity in Paulo Dybala, who drew the penalty kick, in their last matchup against Bologna. But what I worry about with AC Milan, their best defender was actually Tammy Abraham in that match. They should be applauding him, and I'm sure the Stadio Olimpico was because of his goal line save. I give the slider edge to AC Milan in this game because in that matchup against Salerno Tana, that could have been 10-1. I mean, the, the chances they missed in that game were incredible, and I think that comes down to players coming back from the World Cup. Rafael Leal, man. This guy is a handful. This guy is the future of this club, and he will warrant and cement why they're offering him, as Fabrizio Romano said to us the other day, $7 million net for proposed new contract. I look for him, Olivier Giroud, and Brahim Diaz to be the difference makers if they get this win.
3: I find it quite interesting as well that all of the sort of big teams in Serie A came back with quite pragmatic wins. I mean, Inter got that big win over Napoli, which I know we'll touch on shortly, uh, you know, by one goal. Juve got a late winner against Cremonese as well. Uh, Roma, you know, held on after what, a sixth minute penalty to to win that one one nil, And then AC, uh, you know, came out 2-1 winners over Salernitana. So to me, it feels like a lot of these sides at the top of the table at this moment in time are being quite cautious. They don't want to take any sort of unnecessary risks and potentially drop points which i don't know is maybe where napoli got themselves caught out but for you know for this one i mean it feels to me like this is the perfect opportunity for roma to really uh you know dig out some classic jose marino shithousery and try and pull themselves you know into this race for the the champions league spots like in a proper way for for milan they really can't afford to i mean i I'd say they can probably get away with a draw. They can't really afford to, to drop, you know, all of the points, you know, especially given that they've just won back some unexpected ground uh, over Napoli. Uh, and I think these are the kind of games which, you know, if Milan can't get the win in, then it, you know, it might cost them, uh, you know, their shot at the title.
2: Now, Nigel Rio-Coker, we all know, those, of it, those that listen regularly to this program as well, Kiss, kiss of death. <laughs> the kiss of death famously tends well, to me, come from Michael. Michael that's Michael. Yeah, the that, that is that Michael is, legendary kiss of death. But yeah. Nigel Rio Coker, I am wondering if its transitory powers have passed on to you, you who were speaking in such glowing, such adoring terms of of your Napoli side. And I think we have to be honest and give you at least some of the credit for their run to the Scudetto. I mean, I'm sure that you know. The the you know that their star players are listening to House of Champions every week, feeling G'd <laughs> up by Nigel Rio Coaker's latest bit of praise, and that's propelling them to greater heights. But Nigel, have you ruined their title challenge with your kind <laughs> words that led to their defeat against Inter Milan?
0: Definitely not. I think we spoke about it. It's funny enough, James, that we spoke about it in previous pods recently. That all the teams who were undefeated in Europe now have actually come to an end. So every team now in Europe has been defeated, and eventually. In any title race, there's always that wake-up call. There's always that result that goes against you. And in the sense of Napoli, I believe this is going to be a good wake-up call for them. It's really going to shake them now to realise that they are serious title contenders and this title is theirs to throw away. It wasn't exactly like a complete convincing win. It was a great game of football. And we can still see why I really like and adore this Napoli side in what they do and how they play the game. I just feel that it's just a blip in the matrix, James, as you've seen many times covering all the leagues around the world, all the great title races we've seen. But it was inevitable. It was going to happen right after the World Cup. And as we keep discussing, we still haven't really seen how the effects of the World Cup have truly unfolded in clubs. It's still going to take a couple of weeks till we really get back into that that rhythm and that groove to see where this lands. But I don't think that their title defence or their climb to the title is over.
2: Mike, let's briefly touch from that game, because I know you were watching it, because my phone was lighting up with texts from you (laughs) about a game I wasn't really watching. Um, Inter Milan as well, we should talk about them. I mean, they will be looking at their trip to Monza as a very strong chance to get three points. They are certainly not out of the title race by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it's sort of interesting, three clean sheets in their their last three games. I think the last Hmm. time they conceded more than one goal was against Atalanta in early November. That defense looked a bit shaky early on, but do you think Simone and Zagi's is getting somewhere? I mean, we should say as well, two guys, guys, guys. This, is, this, is, this is all a polite
3: way of James dancing around the elephant <laughs> yeah. in the room, which is that <laughs> yeah. Eden Jacko
1: scored the winning goal against. Him. <laughs> yes, like I told you, James, I told you. I'm surprised. Put more respect. Right. I, you're surprised on Eden Jacko. He's been. No, I'm surprised James didn't bring up Lukaku. That's what I was yeah, thinking. Well,
0: James would give yeah. him
1: Well, boring. I'm about to. I'm about to bang the big drum on Big Rom and. Inter Milan. Ronald Lukaku was one of the best players on the pitch for about half an hour. I thought he was the best player on the pitch. He looked like the Lukaku from two years ago. He looked lighter. He looked more mobile. His ability to run off the ball, he was a handful. And I think that balance between he and Ned and Dzeko, you could see chemistry there. You could see more chemistry than you've probably seen with Latour Martinez and any other striker. And Martinez is their leading goal scorer. Edin Dzeko, his ability to read and really be that playmaker of the front two, almost like a second striker, and Lukaku either holding up the ball or making runs, stretching back lines and stretching that Napoli back line, that was first class, and the rust a bit from Lukaku, that will come in time. I think this was a statement performance he needed to make after a very disastrous World Cup that he had with Belgium. I know injuries have been a, crisis of, a bit of a crisis for him this year, but... There's a good feeling about Lukaku if he keeps progressing like this. For Inter, what I was most oppre- oppressed, impressed with was how physical they were with the Napoli players, how physical they were with Cavada. On the right-hand side, Cavada didn't do much in that game. The player for Napoli who I, I think the rush showed the most was Peter Pieter Zielinski. He had a few chances at the top of the box and in and around the goal that he should have put away and had some clean looks that could have made it 1-1 and a smash grab result. They go back to southern Italy with a a tie, and everyone's talking about how great Napoli continued to be. Napoli's an amazing side. They're still Serie A leaders, and for good reason. But Inter, there's something about this Inter team that makes you want to hope a little bit.
2: I love that comment from our good friend in the chat, Matt Osmond. Lukaku got the bad format of his system in Qatar. I mean,
0: boy, whoa, whoa, did he. Whoa. That
1: was a colonic <laughs> irrigation oh, of the second half. I know yeah. where this is going.
0: Let's just say this. He didn't have his bad form of his system. He's just being Lukaku in a system that works with him, which yeah. means I don't heavily get involved in the build-up play. I just want to run in behind, run into space, use my strength. And Paul credit to him. So that's what works for him. He's not like a Giroud to be a playmaker, build-up, and be able to score and finish goals. So let's not say he got his bad form. He's just playing in a system in a club that's worked for him and showing the best Lukaku we've seen in his entire career.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's so true. And I think people see maybe the the shape of Romelu Lukaku and expect a very different player to the player he is. You know, he's not very good but with his back to goal. Thomas Tuchel really discovered that he is a runner. Like in that Chelsea Tuchel system, he was perfect for one of the wide forward roles. And yet people mm. kept kind of wanting to use him as a target, man. He He can't lay the ball off. As Belgium discovered especially when he's not fresh and firing. He's not very good in the air. He's not very good at, at close range. But if you get him in a position where he can turn and run at defenders, by God, do they get scared. Just finally talking Serie A, and uh, it's very dispiriting that we have to discuss this topic, but I think it has to be said, not remotely surprising when we talk about the fans. Samuel and Titti revealing in the last few hours, I believe, that uh, that he was racially abused by travelling Lazio fans. Now, this is a real problem that, I mean, of course, Serie A, and world football, and, and the world has. But uh, the Lecce defender there, I mean, it's no great surprise to see that that Lazio fans travelling down to Apulia did uh, did racially abuse him. And I think that's the saddest thing of all, isn't it, Jonathan Johnson, that that when I saw this, I wasn't surprised, and I'm sure you weren't either.
3: No, absolutely not. Uh, you know, I think if you were going to sort of put your money, I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to bet on something like this, but, you know, if you were to... to guess which kind of club was guilty of something like this, Lazio would be fairly close to the top of the list. I I think it's doubly sad as well, because when you look at the season that Lecce having, expected to battle against relegation, currently going quite well in mid-table. But for Umtiti personally as well, he's had Hell of a last couple of years, you know, sort of trying to battle back to salvage something of his career from putting his job on the line for France to help him win the World Cup in 2018. Uh, you know, and he's finally started to, you know, turn a bit of a corner. You know, he's going 90 minutes in this game, Lecce picking up three important points. Uh, you know, yeah, it's it, it's hugely disappointing to, to hear something like that. And I guess, I guess, you know, maybe the silver lining of this is you could say that he had the last laugh because Lecce got the win uh, you know, and ultimately Lazio go home, uh, empty handed, but that's, that's not the point. You know, the point is that, you know, this is an issue that needs to be stamped out, not just in Italy, but in other countries in, uh, in Europe as well. You know, we've, we've been discussing the the situation v- with Vinicius Jr. in Spain as well. It, it's just, like you said, very dispiriting to keep having to bring this up. The fact that it's come up, what, three times already this week in our podcasts, uh, you know, speaks volumes, I think, unfortunately, and not in a good way.
1: Uh, one of the things I want to applaud, and I, I think you said it so well, JJ, is why does this keep happening? It, it, it's so frustrating. It's disgusting. And poetic justice was served with the result. But I want to applaud how Leche, their team, and the players engaged this. They were supportive of Umtiti, and we've seen Serie A clubs. Juventus, I'm looking at you. Benucci, I'm looking at you. In the past, handled this the wrong way. Last time I remember hearing uh, a controversial racial abuse experience like this, Moise Keane, absolutely racially abused, goes off the field, and his captain, Banucci, says he should have stayed on the field. That was classless by Bonucci, and they've since moved on from that. But I think Lecce, their players, handled it well to show support to MTT.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for that, Mike. Thanks, JJ. Coming up in the second half of today's House of Champions, we're going to talk Greg Berhalter and Gio Reyna and the fallout from that. And of course, we are going to talk about the most wonderful time of the year. It's FA Cup third round in England. We'll be back with you right after the break. Stay up to date with every story and every heart-pounding moment from the world of elite-level soccer with the Golazzo Starting 11 newsletter from CBS Sports. It's your ultimate guide to the beautiful game, taking you beyond the pitch and around the globe with expert analysis of everything you need to know in the world of soccer. Sign up today for free at cbssports.com slash Once again, it's the Golazzo Starting 11 newsletter, and you can sign up free at cbssports.com slash Golazo, And I think in either this week's or next week's, we will doubtless be talking about the FA Cup third round. Because if there's the one thing the FA Cup delivers, most of the time, more often than not, not always, it is the giant killings. I'm thinking Wrexham and Arsenal. I'm thinking Shrewsbury Town and Everton. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. What else am I thinking? Nigel Rio Coca. Any that stand out for you? Any that you were involved in as a player, and of course. Nigel was always the giant. He was he was David, or he was Goliath, never David.
0: I have no fear. You're not wrong, James. Never had any fear whatsoever, regardless of who I'm playing against. Um, honestly, can't remember too many in my career. If I'm honest, I remember quite a few replays with lower league clubs that we should have won. But um, I can't remember any major upsets that we kind of had to face and take.
3: I I remember Um, one, but it was in Europe. It wasn't domestically. (laughs) We're talking about being a long-suffering Villa fan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, be quiet. Anyway, no, I think James. The thing for me is, it's the magic of the cup. But I feel like that magic is slowly dying because just the gap of quality between the Premier League and a lot of these lower league clubs is just so far apart now. And the sad thing is when. A lot of these lower league clubs get these big games, these big opportunities and moments. There's that fear factor. I feel most of the managers are so scared of losing that they set up their teams to be so defensively minded. Instead of putting that message out there, this is your moment, take it. You can play off pure adrenaline for 90 plus minutes. Go out there, get in their faces. They're just like every other professional. No real top quality player likes to be closed down. You can make a very... Good player, look average. When you close him down, don't give him the time. But when you show these teams too much respect, they will play through you and they will destroy you. So I feel that that is my little worry, but there is still moments and opportunities, but it's all about the mindset and approach of the so-called smaller clubs and attitudes that they have towards these giants.
2: Yeah, I see what you're saying, Nigel. I mean, of course, you know, everyone wants another moment like Steven Gerrard scoring against West Ham in the final. I'm sure that was a a particular... No, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For those of you that don't know, of course, <laughs> Nigel Rio Coker was the, the captain of that West Ham site uh, that so, was so cruelly <laughs> robbed by Gerard in the dying minute. I'm going to
0: send something to Des, the producer, that he can put up later if he likes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: but I mean, I, I would sort of disagree with that. I mean, it's only quite recently that we've had stories like um, Sutton United hosting Arsenal and was it the fifth or the sixth round, Lincoln City that year as well, um, you know, making these really deep runs into the competition. I think, you know, everything was always better in our day, wasn't it? And for me, you know, it doesn't get any better than probably not one that's on many people's all-time list, but I still remember as a as a young fan uh, at the Gay Meadow, Shrewsbury Town in Shropshire. Wayne Rooney and company visiting Shrewsbury, who that season would go on to be relegated from the Football League, and um, somehow implausibly Nigel Jemson uh, with two two free kicks, I think, if I remember rightly. However, it was he won it. Huge pandemonium on the stands of the uh, the game, and I think that's still for me. You know, I've been at Champions League finals. I've been. I've seen cups presented i've seen all that and i still don't think he gets better than that second nigel jempson goal against wayne rooney's everton um but we're not going to get much of that in the big game of the third round are we mike Lahoud? manchester city against chelsea i should say that we're talking right now before uh the first meeting of these two which is at stamford bridge in the premier league following that later in the week they'll be facing off at the etihad in the uh, cup what are your thoughts on this game mike and is it going to be a bit of sort of after the Lord Mayor's show vibe, a bit of the, you know, the underwhelming second act?
1: No, I I think because of the underwhelming result that City had in their last league match, I think Pep Guardiola will use this game as to gauge what response does he get and how does he get a response out of his team? Because they want to build up momentum because they have their eye, yes, getting cups is massive, but they have their eye on catching up with Arsenal and ultimately getting that Champions League hardware and you need to get some of your World Cup players continued up to speed. I expect rotation, given that some of the they have some of their big Premier League matches coming up as well in the remainder. Oops, caught oh caught my fork. <laughs> in the remainder of the year. I think this is you, actually a No,
2: what? no, no, no. We need to stop here, Mike Lahood. <laughs> I can pick up on your point later. Why do you
1: have a fork with you in your podcast studio? I, you know what? I was eating my lovely breakfast, fried egg, a couple was of problem. And I got animated, knocked over, kept my blueberries on, kept my eggs on, but knocked over my fork. Sorry, sorry, are the
2: eggs and the blueberries on the same plate? I mean, they're, oh, they're, st- yes, they're, they're still are. on the plate. They're going to yeah. be a bit cold
1: that's by the time it. we finish this. That's well, there's a microwave. Good. There's a microwave right down the hallway. That's how I roll. That's how I roll. But to, to finish up that point.
2: No, is- no, 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 no. have <laughs> <laughs> been on, been on your breakfast here. So
1: the blueberries, can you show the plate and the egg? Can, you, like, can we see the hold it up? Please? Can we show the plate? <laughs> Yeah,
2: yes, yeah, show the plate, ladies. I mean, remember, this is a visual medium. So, oh what God. the Friday um, is
0: there now while you're currently doing a podcast. This just goes to show mate, the professionals, I'm not not Americans. I'm, Why I'm not surprised we've well, got Michael doing this, uh, it's like oh, a vitamin C heavy <laughs> shocker. Oh, man,
1: I'm on. getting I'm getting slaughtered more for this than my uh, my my Lazio predictions, my House of Champions predictions. You know what? Someone else take it. I'm gonna eat my. Yeah, egg. I
2: mean, JJ, what I would say to you is, like, you know, don't let anyone in France see what we've just seen on that plate <laughs> because we'll never get listened <laughs> to again. We'll be banned from French Spotify, French Stitcher. Um, but I on
3: mean, the, the subject of Chelsea, the, Charles, the man, obvious the
2: obvious question is, where's the
3: bread to start with?
1: Uh, the, the bread's and well, actually, can't eat any bread because we're on a, a whole 30 diet. So, next oh, month, Jesus, Jesus
0: Christ, I know, man. Let's go to Chelsea anyway. I was just want to say <laughs> for me, how worried are you guys about Chelsea and what you're seeing? Obviously, there's more reports coming out of Chelsea now that some of their top scouts are leaving because they're trying to change their system in the sense of becoming more analytics related than actual physically scouting. And these scouts are going to rivals. And the reason why I say this is let fans know that Chelsea have had some top-class players. Their scouting system was not broken. And you look at some of these top players, they came through Chelsea's academy. Mo Salah, Kevin De Bruyne, just to name a few that were let go by Chelsea. And now for an ownership group that doesn't really know too much about football, to be happy to dismantle some of the top scouts in their system and everything else that we're seeing with players that they're being linked to, how worried are you about Chelsea?
2: Well, I would be extremely, extremely worried. Not just, I mean, about the way that some of their business is being done. I mean, let's look at the player that, you know, as we record right now, has just signed Benoit badia Shield. Please correct me if I'm wrong on my pronunciation, JJ. But this is a left-sided centre-back of, of talent, of promise. But that's a position where they've only recently signed Mark Kukurea. They've signed uh, Kaladu kulibali as well, who we can play in that position. That's all since the uh, current regime took over. Kukurea, I believe, signed a seven-year contract baddie a shield seven and a half now when you're paying 60 million 50 million for a player putting them on that long contract looks great on your books when you're amortizing that whole fee over seven and a half years it doesn't look anywhere near as as bad from a financial perspective but i mean i look at this and i think does does you know do do, do, do these managers fully appreciate or does, does todd bowley fully appreciate kind of what a seven and a half year contract means in football because it isn't you know this isn't the NFL the NBA and I don't want to mm-hmm. fall into that trap of assuming that American owners don't know what they're doing because it works differently in America but if you sign someone to a seven and a half year or I mean you can't anymore but if say in the NBA you sign someone to a seven and a half year contract that's pretty much it most of the time you're definitely paying them that wage. if Badia Shiel is great, he's still going to want a pay rise but of course if he's a disaster, the current wage you have him on means, no one will take him for anything other than, you know, subsidized wages and a year long loan. Um, and you're on the hook for pretty much as in half of his professional career. I guess the question there then, Jonathan Johnson, is is this going to be a move that in a year's time we'll be packaging alongside the Bakayokos and the Drink Waters and the Baba Ramans, as as what on earth were they thinking? baddi Ashil, is he any good?
3: I mean, it's, uh, the, the, there's a lot to, to, to kind of sift through that we've just uh, spoken about. Uh, I mean, in terms of badia himself, very good pronunciation, by the way. Um, he's, a, he's a talent. There's no doubt about that. I do expect him to be a defender of high quality in the future. Uh, I do think that he will feature for France as well, uh, you know, now that he's made the move. Uh, obviously, he debuted with Monaco. But... If we're talking about like the verdict being in in a year's time, I I don't think, well, assuming that it goes how I expect it to go, I don't think the verdict should be in in a year's time because I think that he's going to need time to develop before he's ready to start for Chelsea. I think we should be starting to discuss whether he should be a starter for Chelsea in about 12 months' time at least, if not maybe 18 months. But obviously that's not really going to... Jive with what uh, you know. Chelsea, uh, you know, perhaps you know, thinking for him. I think that if it's been well thought out, uh, you know, this should be sort of a, a William Saliba move where he goes on a couple of loan spells or a lengthy loan spell with one club, continues his development, uh, and then uh, you know comes back, uh, you know, ready to compete and potentially be uh, you know a regular starter. If you're looking at those options uh, that Chelsea have at the moment on paper badia is not going to start ahead of them. You know, when Thiago Silva is fit, badia Shil is not going to play ahead of Thiago Silva. He's not going to play ahead of uh, Kalidou Koulibaly either. So, you know, this is definitely one for the future for me. Now, you know, did they absolutely need him? Okay, we can make the argument that, you know, left-sided center central defenders are very rare in the game. Uh but, you know, like you said, it, it is a huge risk. And I actually think it's a risk from Badia Shiela as well to agree to such a long contract, because when you look at some of the players who haven't, you know, sort of succeeded, you know, he's playing alongside, he'll be playing alongside Fafana, who, you know, we've forgotten about as well when we're talking about Chelsea's defensive options. But Fafana made the jump from, uh, you know, probably a, a lower down league Young club at the time, Saint-Etienne, uh, to a lower level premier league club despite the fact that Leicester obviously have won the premier league before making that move to chelsea this is a huge jump for for Shield i don't see an obvious way for him straight into that starting 11 uh, and i think that he risks you know his his development which to be fair he needs in certainly in terms of his consistency uh you know sort of coming off course unless there is uh, a loan move that uh, that has been lined up i guess we will see but uh, it, to me it seems very very risky and once again uh, you know, quite um, you know, quite scattergun really for for Chelsea's transfer approach. It's basically let's try and buy everyone up who you know is being linked with any semi decent clubs so that nobody else can have them. I mean, the the saddest thing I think in all of this is that Badia shir will arrive probably before the game tonight and be paraded in front of the fans. The fans who are livid that they might not get Enzo Fernandez now.
2: Yes, very good point. And one thing I did want to briefly hit on before we move on because there are some other big games to talk about. But as we speak. Benfica head coach Roger Smith has been scathing of Chelsea, uh, accusing them of not negotiating seriously over Enzo Fernandez when they were told to pay the uh, release clause um, of 120 million euros for Enzo Fernandez. Um, so that's not going great. They're trying to steal Mikhailo Mudrik, a player who has publicly insisted he wants to uh, he wants to go to Arsenal, and I'm not sure how well that's going to go either. So troubling times at Chelsea and not a lot to convince you that that they know what they're doing in the future on the subject of clubs that haven't always known what they're doing, Mike, (laughs) and I do hope that you're not going to interrupt us with any, any Uh, more snacks. No Manchester United maybe didn't know what they were doing in the past, but look, everything's rosy in the garden four games since Cristiano Ronaldo left nine scored zero conceded. And now the chance to win a trophy, perhaps the FA Mm, cup, mm. Hmm. second most victories of all time i mean it's you know it could be something to really mark a good season for ten hard couldn't it
1: yeah, and it comes at an interesting time they have three matches in a short span they play tomorrow then they play on the 10th i think in the efl cup which I'll, when you have multiple cups that you can win it raises some questions about where do you put your priorities that game against man city coming up will be looming large and heavy on some of these players, and Tin Hogg will have to be smart of how he rotates. I think you'll see more of a true starting 11 in this match because they will use this momentum to go into the City match, and you'll see more of a rotated team in the FL Cup matchup coming on the 10th. For United, what I love has been the play of two midfielders in particular. Marcus Rashford is scoring the goals. He looks rejuvenated. He looks like the main man in attack. But it's been the consistent play of of uh, Casemiro and Christian Erickson. Christian Erickson has arguably been their best signing and best player this season. And Casemiro, this guy does not get enough credit. His reading of the game, his ability to intercept balls in the attacking half is something that gives this team a new dimension that they have not had in years, not since the Michael Carrick days under Fergie. I think if he continues to improve, and he, he's also chipping in with goals in league play and in cup tournaments. I mean, th- this guy is the real deal, and he's doing it in his 30s. I think if Tin Hogg can get more buy-in and continued buy-in from the likes of Anthony to get back in form, uh, Anthony Marcial, the two Antonies, getting them on the score sheet in cup competitions like this, I think Manchester United could end up with a really successful season.
2: Nigel, uh, Frank Lampard very much teetering on the edge. Is this a game he m- might want to lose in normal circumstances, but kind of finds himself having to win?
0: Big encounter, Frank Lampard, James, and you know it. He's under pressure. That loss to Brighton in the Premier League was basically one of the final nails in the coffin, and I think that it's just a matter of time. You know, we've seen links before. Personally, I've seen the links, and I believe it could something that can happen of Wayne Rooney returning to Everton to become Everton manager. And I feel that people would say, oh, you're crazy. Why Wayne Rooney doesn't have the experience? He hasn't done nothing. He's an Evertonian. He's one of their own. And I think that the fans will take more love and kindness to him, to Wayne Rooney, and give him the time to build Everton and turn Everton around because he understands the fans from a deeper level than Frank Lampard would. And Frank Lampard's not stupid. He knows when he takes jobs in the Premier League. All these managers do. There's pressure that comes with it. So he's really under pressure. And if it's another loss, I can see Frank Lampard probably getting the sack now.
2: I love that Rooney idea and I think we have to say he's got some experience at dealing with, with crisis clubs and it's hard to know whether Derby's good preparation or hasn't even given him enough insight into the disaster that is Everton. We are going Rose, to come back to the just, Cup. Go on, I.
0: Well, I just want to say quickly, you're right in what you're saying, but I think the difference of Wayne Rooney going there is he understands the fans at a deep level. Agreed. The fans look at him as one of theirs. So that's why I think that plays a complete different dynamic of looking at that situation. Also,
3: also, when was the last time that he was linked with the job? Because he might feel with the full second half of the season that he actually has time to turn their form around and get them away from the relegation zone, whereas before he might have been walking into what I think many people felt was doomed. I mean, yeah, it, we were talking about him when Everton looked like they were dropping out of the Premier League.
2: Yeah, I think that was when Lampard um, left or arrived about a year ago. And I think maybe now, like you say, JJ, he he might almost benefit from the expectations having dropped to the level where I don't think anyone would think he was a failure if he took them down. That squad is a squad when you run through the starting 11 that that looks like it should be hovering above the, uh, the drop zone. I mean, Lampard's still maybe not getting the best out of it, but it's not a great squad. Um, so maybe now is the right time for him to jump. Right, we will be coming back to the FA Cup before the end of the show. Um, but before then, I need to get give Des a moment to uh, to pull up some FA Cup fixtures. Before then, let's talk about everyone's favorite topic for this week. Everyone's oh, actually the, the fixtures are here. Let's do it now and hope that Des can fix this in the edit. I'll start with myself because this was my idea, and I uh, therefore I think it's incumbent on me to to make a start. This is FA Cup third round. This is giant killing. Sunday, Saturday, every day of the week. My take for this, and I want everyone to give me an idea of who they think is the most likely uh, big Premier League team or big championship mm. club that might fall to a giant. But mine is it's quite a simple one, quite an obvious one. Gillingham against Leicester City. Leicester are dropping mm. like a stone right now. They are really, really struggling. And uh, I think for them, they're one of those teams that will almost be looking at this thinking, actually... Not the end of I'm the world going. if we go out of the FA Cup. Nigel, you're next. Go on.
0: Burnley. Burnley to take out Bournemouth. <laughs> Is that a shock? <laughs> hey, Bournemouth for a Premier League team. Burnley a championship team. They're still a giant killing.
3: JJ? I feel like I should go for the low-hanging fruit and say, well, guys, look at it. At least one of Man City or Chelsea will go out uh, in the third round. But uh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid that. It's funny that you mentioned Gillingham away because I got a, a reminder on my Facebook that I went to Villa away at Gillingham 14 or 15 years ago. Bloody cold. Uh, and I think we won 2-1 with like a late uh, late Milner penalty, something like that. Uh, actually, my pick is going to be Hull to knock out Fulham.
1: Mike? Yes, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the one that we're staying away from. I think Wolves under Lopetegi will beat Liverpool. The inconsistency of Liverpool continues. The Virgil van Dijk. Is he injured? Will he be out for the game? If he is, and that stays, that is a massive loss for Liverpool in a cup competition like this. Wolves, a bit of a resurgence, He's didn't injured. get the win against Villa, but I like this matchup for Wolves. I'm picking Wolves.
0: I can't believe know right. one. Van is
1: injured.
0: But yes, Van we're just is waiting injured. for how long. Van Dyke is injured. We're just waiting to find out how no long well. he's out for. So yeah, that's a great shout. Yeah. Right.
2: Now it's the bit we've all been waiting for the baffling complexities that are the case involving you Greg Berhalter see. and Giovanni <laughs> Rayner. I don't really know kind of how to start this off. So Mike Lahoud, can you do yeah. my job for me and give everyone a, a quick pricey, a quick explanation of, of where we are right now in this case?
1: So breaking news keeps toppling breaking news. A couple days ago, as we talked about here on House of Champions, Greg Berhalter issued a statement saying that he was being blackmailed and he had been blackmailed at the FIFA World Cup. December 11th is a day that will live in infamy for the U.S. men's national team after this World Cup because the cat's out of the bag and the mystery person is that was blackmailing him turns out to be part of the Reyna family Danielle Reyna, the mother of Gio Reyna, you know him from Borussia Dortmund. You can catch him in the Champions League when it returns here on Paramount Plus. But it just—it's stinky. It's awful. It, it, you know, it, for those of you who know the soccer structure here in America, it's—it's. It's, it reminds me of a, a system called ODP, Olympic Development Team, where your parents are the ones who have all the say. They jump in, and you just. Sit there by the wayside. It it screams of the problems of youth soccer here in America. And now it's walking its way into the national team. It's laughable. It's disgraceful. And it's not a good look on the U.S. men's national team, on Greg Berhalter, and especially on the Reinas. I think this is coming at a crucial time and, and really a crossroads for the men's national team. They have a gold cup in July. And this is a big distraction that they don't need right now.
0: Well, I'm just going to jump in. I'm not going to say too much on it, James. But this goes to say why I say suburb babies play soccer in America. This is why a lot of the world does not respect American soccer when you've got this kind of incident happening that could literally be a soap opera of one of my ex-teammates doesn't like the attitude of my son, so he embarrassed my son publicly, so now I have to embarrass him with some of his own personal family things. It is messy. It is absolutely embarrassing to the highest degree and if u.s soccer now don't clean house and get rid of all this intertwining because it seems like an entanglement is the best way to put it with all these people involved embarrassing u.s soccer and embarrassing themselves it's just unbelievable i'm not surprised because for me i feel that whatever's happened has happened yes if a story came out and you didn't like about it but there's no way now parents of a a US international player to go in there and try and start doing things and unearthing dirt on a manager and embarrass the manager like that and embarrass US soccer just because their child got a little discipline and they didn't like it. But it just sums up what US soccer is about. I've seen it myself. I've seen all these academies here. And with all these Gino Rainers and all these players that make it through, USA is missing on millions of talented players can't do this pay for play system with these suburb babies and if you don't go through adversity as a soccer player you're not going to grow because now Gino Reina is going to go play against other colleagues they're going to make fun of him to say oh what you're going to get your mum and dad to stand up for you now if I kick you in the you know what and it's just so embarrassing for me I'm sorry and I just find it so laughable and it just makes me feel justified James to say that this is a suburb sports for suburb babies
2: one quick thing to to throw in alongside that, and I know, JJ, you want to speak on this as well, but I mean, it was notable as well, and obviously it's flown a little under the radar, uh, Ricardo Pepe's comments when he was told that he uh, didn't make the World Cup squad, and of course, you know, I don't know what that's like. I know what disappointment in my professional career is like. Um, but when he said that he then hung he hung the phone up on Greg Berhalter when Greg Berhalter had rung to, to, run to, to let him know the disappointing news and that he hadn't asked for feedback as well as to why he hadn't made it um was certainly was eye-opening and like you know Nigel says there I mean it it does it, it you know these things do maybe prompt questions about the attitude around the US team and of course we remember that that Gio Reyna according to Berhalter was nearly sent home for the way he acted JJ what's your what's your take on this watching it from afar in France
3: well, first of all, I want to congratulate the USMNT on finally becoming an elite footballing nation. Just, just got the couple of World <laughs> Cup titles missing now. Uh, I'm sure they'll come at some point before, you know, in our <laughs> lifetime. Uh, but no I mean honestly mm. is is there not an argument to say that everybody is in the wrong here Berhalter was in the wrong to sort of uh, you know air his dirty laundry with Gio Reyna or have that aired uh, you know and the, the Reyna family you know for, for their role in in all of this uh, you know also wrong uh, I, I think Nigel hit the, the nail on the head you know completely right there's way too much entitlement there uh, and you know not having hunger in terms of your sort of developments and really becoming a top top player uh, you know I think that there is a very strong argument that there's not enough of that in the U.S. game because of the way that that you know youth football is uh, is set up in the states. Personally, I think the situation is totally untenable, almost for both parties. I don't see a way that Berhalter can really continue as manager. I think it's already quite telling that I think it's going to be his assistant Hudson who's going to, you know, run the USMNT at the end of the month for the friendly games. Uh, and also, how how do you bring somebody like Reina in, uh, you know, back in in the future? Certainly not if Berhalter remains coach. But even with a different coach, you know, somebody who presumably will also know, uh, you know, Reina, considering that he, uh, especially Claudio Reina, obviously because he's, you know, such a, a big, uh, you know, sort of part of, uh, you know american footballing history certainly in a modern sense uh you know i also think it's a bad look for mls given that you know claudio Reyna is obviously in a position i'm not going to expect mike to talk about that but you know he is somebody who has an active club role it is uh, you know it it is hugely i mean i'm not going to say hugely entertaining but it's it's kind of you know you can't take your eyes away from the situation for a minute to see how it develops because you know there are so many different moving parts to this uh,
2: scandal. Thanks for that, everyone. I mean, no, this is a, it, like like Nigel says, this is a soap opera, and that's why I mean there are some really important issues here that we need to unpack. And equally, it has to be said, I can't keep my eyes away from it in that soap opera way. Uh, Comment here from Andy SVT8 House of Champions greater than in soccer we trust. Well, look, you'll find no arguments from anyone on this panel, and thanks for the kind words. Brilliant stuff.
3: You, you, Andy. US soccer just found its new controversy.
2: <laughs> However, <laughs> yes, I mean we are t- we are talking a burbling rivalry. This is when I discover that Andy is one of Dez's burner accounts or Mike <laughs> as well. However, if you do want the ultimate breakdown on everything going on here, and I listened yeah. to their last episode, and it was excellent and so. And these guys yeah. really know the situation here. I mean, if you've been following Heath Pierce on Twitter, you know he was ahead of the game on this. So remember, 3 p.m. Eastern today, Jimmy, Charlie, and Heath, they'll be breaking it down on In Soccer Week Trust. Andy, I guess you won't be joining them, but you'll be back here soon. We'll be bringing you more on this. Don't you worry. Right, let's head into it. Nigel Coca promised us that in this audio podcast we would be seeing a photo very soon. It's news to me. Here it is Nigel Rio with
0: Look how handsome <laughs> you are. Yeah. Did he hit
2: you? <laughs> he hit me. You must be crazy. We did to
0: Prince Harry. He, he looks like hearing. he's
2: about to taser you.
0: <laughs> ah, James, <laughs> you in the neck
2: so uh, what's going through your head, Nigel, you? when, when Steven Gerrard takes that shot? Mm.
3: You know what? It's just it's, was, the pennies just no. dropped. He, t- he tells you <laughs> to join Villa at this moment, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he <laughs>
0: yeah, does, to be fair. So Villa needs you. Uh, no, honestly, for me, it was just because I jumped to try and block it. And as I turned, you just see the flow of the ball just look like it's going out and come back in, in a Roberto Carlos type of way. And we had Shaka his lopping goal, one of the best goalkeepers at the time there as well. Fantastic goalkeeper, but no keeper was saving that. And it was just a fantastic strike. And that's what the magic of the cup is, it literally was.
2: I mean, I I remember this final as clear as day, JJ and Mike. I'm sure you're the same. And it stayed in the history books, hasn't it? I think people would probably say it's the greatest FA Cup final this century. One For you, Nigel. Is it does that make it easier, like that it, it ended in such heartbreak to know that you were part of this special occasion? Or maybe, I mean I could imagine it could make it harder as
0: well. It hurts. But do you know what, James? My mentality is this. And when I talk to young players and give them advice, I always say as long as you can look at yourself on the pitch and know you gave everything, you left everything you could on the pitch, that's all that matters. You can't change moments like that and when things like that happen. And for me, the way that I say, and I know that I did, is because every fan that you meet that speaks about that FA Cup says how much of an amazing FA Cup it was. And even the neutrals who watched it said it was just an amazing game. So there's no one that's ever come to say, oh, you could have done this, you could have done that. And that's why I always give the advice to young players leave everything you can on the pitch. And when you do, you'll feel probably a little bit more satisfied as much as you've lost the game and you're still a winner. But at least you left everything on the pitch and, you know, there's never going to be any doubts in your mind or any, you know, second thoughts.
2: Go and dig that game out on YouTube if you can, people that are watching, because we're wrapping up here. Um, I mean, I'm just remembering Dean Ashton. I'm sure everyone else is the oh, same. Yeah. God, what a player that guy was. Um, but that is it for us. Nigel, Mike, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me. And to you watching and listening at home, thanks so much for joining us on House of Champions. Please take a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. It really does help us get out there. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. Anywhere that you listen to your podcast, we're there. We're also available on YouTube. Subscribe to us on the channel. Leave us a review. Leave us a like. And we will see you very soon on House of Champions. Except Nigel has one more thing to say, which probably means I need to record this ending again. But Nigel, speak.
0: (laughs) No, you don't. Great ending. I was just going to say, ladies and gentlemen, tune in for the next time we're on, then we're going to find out who the father is in this great USA soap opera.
1: <laughs> oh, geez. No, I, I actually, I actually, I mean, I, I usually don't interrupt during this last thing. And Benji, you, you close it out well. But I think th- this just makes me sad. It makes me sad for the state of US soccer right now. And, and the the person involved in all this, whose voice we haven't heard from, and, and it's to her preference of not giving her voice to it, I, I think of Greg Berhalter's wife. At the end of the day, I really feel for her that she has to relive this in the public eye, given what happened 31 years ago. And this was not Danielle Reyna's news to share. This was not the Reina family's news to share. And, and things like this just really take the, the, the happiness and, and the celebration of what the US Men's National Team did. But so my my thoughts and just thinking of her during this time more than anyone else.
2: I agree wholeheartedly on that. And I think it's really important that as much as we cannot help because this is human drama, even if it's, you know, whether it's fictionalized or real, people can't help but be sucked into the stories. We do have to remember that, you know, this isn't, it feels like a soap opera, but it isn't because the participants are really there. It's happening in front of our eyes. And of course, you know, as, as Mike has explained very eloquently there, um, you know, there are people here who haven't shared their story and, and maybe they were the people that should have been allowed to, to do so. It's it's dreadfully sad that this story's come out in that way. I'll just remind you, you know, we will be talking a lot more here on House of Champions, but of course the guys on In Soccer we trust will be picking it up throughout the coming days because I, I feel like this is a story that's going to run and run, not just for the next few days, not just for the next few weeks but over the careers of these players, these coaches. And um, I mean, that that certainly is the, the sad part of it. And on that note, we will say goodbye. Uh, I'm not going to record the outro again and make you listen to it. But do please, if you're joining us right at the end somehow, do please make sure to uh, leave us a review. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, everywhere. And we will be, be we will be back oh so soon to talk about all the events in European football and beyond. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Bye-bye.